You're listening to the Women's Health Cast, a podcast from the University of Wisconsin Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I'm Jackie Askins. With this podcast, I'm exploring issues and innovations around women's health with a little help from experts in the UW Department of OBGYN and beyond. Pelvic floor disorders are incredibly common. Nearly one in three women will talk to their healthcare provider at some time in their life about a kind of pelvic floor dysfunction, which could include incontinence or pelvic organ prolapse. Since November is Bladder Health Month, we'll spend the next couple episodes learning about pelvic floor disorders and what's on the horizon to help patients in Wisconsin and beyond address their pelvic floor problems. On this episode, I talked to Christine Heisler about why people might seek help from a doctor like her. Dr. Heisler is a female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgeon. She told me about the causes of pelvic floor disorders and the wide variety of treatments available to patients experiencing incontinence or prolapse. I'm very pleased to be talking to Dr. Christine Heisler, who is a female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgeon in our Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Jackie. It's a pleasure to be here today. I wanted to talk to you um, to learn more about pelvic floor disorders, and um, especially in light of November being Bladder Health Month, I thought that would be a good topic. But before we get into that, I'm really interested to learn about what your practice looks like, why patients would commonly come to see you. Yeah, and that's a very good question because truly the name of our specialty, uh, female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery, is a mouthful. And it really does a good job of capturing the breadth of our specialty, but it doesn't really tell patients what it is that we do. So what I typically tell patients is that we manage conditions or um, abnormalities with urination, bowel movements, and sexual function. So we really help women with a lot of functional problems as well as structural issues related to pelvic health. I wanted to talk to you because you're an expert then in all things pelvic floor. And um, to start with, what are we talking about when we say pelvic floor? Yeah, another great question. So what we're talking about is the um, area of the body kind of um, just below the belly button, the lower abdomen, um, down into the genitals, um, even into the uh, upper inner thighs and into the buttocks. So we're really talking about that. Those are the external structures and everything within there. So the organs that are housed within that cavity would include things like the bladder and the vagina and the uterus, um, the, uh, the anus, the rectum. Um, so we really manage the functional and structural problems with those organs. When everything's working as it should, what exactly does the pelvic floor do? So the pelvic floor is, um, as we talk about it, is, is a, a confluence of muscles that really help to hold all those structures in. Um, it allows us to maintain our continence so that we're not leaking urine or leaking stool. It allows us to um, keep our pelvic organs in so that things don't fall out through the vaginal walls. Um, always a very important thing for us. Um, but it also allows us to accommodate things like childbirth and sexual activity. Um, it allows us to eliminate our urine and our, our waste. So um, in that regard, the muscles that are there are, are really the pelvic floor muscles. Um, but then the pelvic floor, as we talk about it, is more of a, a dynamic interaction of how the organs and those muscles work together to keep us healthy and functional. It seems like you mentioned a couple things that could go wrong. So what are some of the most common, um, I guess, problems or symptoms of problems when someone has a pelvic floor muscle tone issue. 
So one of the most common things that we see in our practice is urinary incontinence, which is where urine is being expelled from the body unintentionally at inopportune times, so um, usually not during toileting. Um, so this could include leaking with a strong urge that you just can't make it to the bathroom in time. may also include leaking with activity, uh, like coughing or exercising. Uh, there may also be issues of leaking with both of those situations, and then there are other types of incontinence in addition to that. Um, other issues that we may see is a condition called pelvic organ prolapse, um, where the vaginal walls or the uterus can fall down through the opening of the vagina. Patients may present with symptoms of bulging or heaviness or lower back discomfort. Um, they may also feel like they're sitting on an egg or sitting on a marble. So there's some very specific symptoms that they would experience. Um, some of the bowel problems that we encounter may include constipation, which, um, you know, a lot of women actually have trouble with constipation, so it's usually not something that has to be described. Um, but um, any deviation of a woman's normal bowel habits might require evaluation. Um, uh, conversely, if she has trouble um, getting her bowel movements out or she's having trouble keeping them in, maybe other conditions that we see. We manage many other less common problems. So there are issues where girls are born without a vagina, for example, and they want to accommodate sexual intercourse. So they would come and see us so that we could help them with that, either uh, through conservative or surgical means. Um, we may also take care of women who have uh, prior surgeries that um, need revision or are having problems from. We can see women um, who also have had prior implants placed, for example, mesh, um, who may have some, again, structural or functional changes that may need to be addressed. So we really see um, uh, the gamut of patients for those conditions. In addition, another area of our practice includes the care of transgender men and transgender women as they're having their gender confirmation surgeries. We can help with the surgical aspect as well as the medical management. What causes some of the most common um, pelvic floor issues or weaknesses? So pelvic floor dysfunction or um, the conditions associated with pelvic floor dysfunction, there's really a multifactorial cause. So patients will frequently ask, you know, was it, you know, my mom had this, was I at risk for this? And the fact is you may have a genetic predisposition, but there are so many other environmental factors. This may include pregnancy. It may include childbirth, um, chronic cough or chronic straining, like with constipation. It could include pelvic surgery, prior hysterectomy. There are a lot of reasons for this. Uh, some of the other maybe less well-known reasons that a woman may have issues could be uh, with chronic straining. We think about some extreme sports like flipping tractor tires for exercise. There are certain things that may put you at risk. So um, when we're assessing these things in patients, sometimes we'll also recognize that it's that those things, while they may be risk factors, some are modifiable, some are not. Um, and once a patient develops symptoms, we really focus less on the why, but then on how we're going to make them better. How common are these issues? They are very common. In fact, um, over 75% of women over 75 years of age have incontinence. Um, and in fact, one, between one and two and one and three women will be presenting to their provider with a pelvic floor dysfunction. So it's a very prevalent condition. Um, certainly not all women have all of these problems, but may develop one or two or maybe six of these issues. Um, you know, it's not uncommon to see a younger woman of reproductive age who has issues with stress and 
incontinence following a vaginal delivery. It's not uncommon to see a woman maybe a little more mature who has pelvic organ prolapse, um, also has trouble emptying her bladder, but then she's also leaking. So we may see some of these things happening concomitantly, um, or we may see one at a time. You just mentioned the word stress incontinence. Can you clarify what that is? Yeah, stress incontinence is specifically leaking with provocation. So with coughing, laughing, sneezing, lifting, um, and that is in the absence of an urge. So it's it's a very um, confusing term for patients because they believe stress incontinence is any leaking with any movement. So when they get an urge to go to the bathroom and they stand up and walk to the bathroom and leak, they misperceive that as stress incontinence when actually that that's part of the picture of urge incontinence. Stress incontinence would be um, I'm standing in the grocery store line, I feel no desire to use the restroom, and I cough very hard, and then urine comes out. Okay. I, too, kind of struggled with the difference between urge and stress, but that was very helpful. It is a very common confusion among patients. So we do spend time identifying the symptoms that a woman's having and then labeling it with the appropriate definition so that she can gain better information. When um, patients come to you who are experiencing um, incontinence or prolapse or other pelvic floor disorders, what do they tell you about how it's affecting their lives? Um, it's really quite variable. Some patients may develop uh, one symptom, for example, stress incontinence, that may be managed conservatively um, with reducing some fluid intake, avoiding some of the extreme sport exercises or other types of exercise. Um, so it, it, it may be modified before she ever presents. Um, the risk that we run as practitioners is missing that opportunity to let her get back to her normal life. It may not be ideal that she's already avoided some of the behaviors that um, really bring her pleasure in her life and it increases her quality of life. So patients may present with different symptoms um, and the impact of those symptoms is something we actually assess. So some patients may have resigned to live with it and it comes up in a history with a primary care provider haphazardly or incidentally, and then they make a reflex referral and the patient really isn't bothered by it. Or we've had patients who are referred for prolapse and when asked, what impact does this have on your life? She'll say, they told me I had this and I should come to you. Conversely, we may have patients who are coming in because they can't have sex with their partner. They can't um, maintain continence to do any of the activities that brings them pleasure. And so the impact could be very substantial. And it's really important that we understand as providers what the impact is because that may also tailor our plan for management. When it comes to that management plan then, um, where do you start? Do you start with um, non-surgical interventions and then kind of move up to surgery? How many options are there? So depending on the actual um, symptoms a patient's experiencing, there is a breadth of options for management. Typically, we outline what would happen if she does nothing, because again, these symptoms are rarely life-threatening. So we do have to acknowledge that should she choose to wait, the outcome may be um, specific and she has to understand that. Um, then we review the conservative management, may, which may inf include things like dietary alterations um, and 
and maybe fluid intake uh, amount and timing. We also talk about behavioral strategies, um, including pelvic floor physical therapy, which can be really helpful. Then we discuss some of the structural assistance, like using a pessary, which is a small silicone device that's shaped like a ring that we can place into the vagina to help support in the event of prolapse or um, support the urethra with stress incontinence. Uh, we talk about um, surgical options as well and procedural options. So um, the each specific condition has a range of um, opportunities for management, and we really try to lay them all out so a patient is engaged in the process of making decisions that may best meet her needs. Some patients present and know they do not want surgery, and that's, of course, perfectly fine. Surgery does carry risks. Um, and some patients have already um, kind of worked their way through all the other treatment options or their symptoms are so severe and bothersome that they're really ready for the surgical or procedural approach. So we really honor the patient's autonomy and where she's been, what she'd like to do, and allow her to make that decision, engaging her in this whole process. I know something kind of unique about our division of advanced pelvic surgery is that um, you do work really, really closely with pelvic floor physical therapists, and that can be a very valuable strategy, um, at least a place to start. What does that experience look like? So through our Women's Pelvic Wellness Clinic, uh, or WPW, we have pelvic floor physical therapists actually in attendance in clinic while we see patients. Patients are typically scheduled to see us as well as PT so that at that same visit in one setting, they're able to already embark on the journey of improving their health through training and exercise and coaching. Um, that has shown an increased durability of pelvic floor physical therapy um, engagement, and um, we know through the studies in the PT literature that women who undergo physical therapy training are more likely to continue with those exercises than just with sheer um, encouragement on the part of the provider. Um, we currently have WPW two days a month. Um, it is a very successful clinic. It's a very busy clinic. Um, we also have um, one of our urology partners, Dr. Sarah McCachran, who attends that clinic as well. So we have this tremendous multidisciplinary approach between the Advanced Pelvic Surgery Clinic and um, our partners within other areas to give patients the care um, for these complex pelvic floor issues that they need. You mentioned some of the things that can cause or lead to pelvic floor issues, and um, the one I most commonly always think of is childbirth. But um, what about people who are never pregnant? It sounds like there are still some things that we do need to worry about or think about, be aware of, um, especially activity-wise, uh, to kind of maintain our pelvic floor health. Yes, I would say that it is a very common association that um, pregnancy and vaginal delivery is associated with pelvic floor dysfunction, and those um, those relationships are established. So it, that is factual. However, there are multiple other um, um, links to pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, so being pregnant and having a C-section, women used to believe that was protective. It's now being evaluated and showing that that may not carry quite the protection because of the weight of the pregnancy and the change in physiology may be altering pelvic floor function. Um, in addition, just normal activities. So as we uh, review the efforts involved in extreme sports and um, looking at some of the um, ways that that impacts pelvic floor, even through organized sports like volleyball and basketball, the jumping and the strain on the pelvic floor may actually be fairly impactful. Um, so I think what's most important is the, the takeaway message 
from that understanding is that we all need to work hard to keep our pelvic floor support strong and to be and to recognize that when there is an issue that there are multiple ways to improve it. So none of us unfortunately is protected from having any of these conditions um, by avoiding pregnancy or by avoiding delivery, um, but rather recognizing the areas where they may increase our risk and how to either modify those risk factors or to avoid them, or more importantly, to get the help you need if they do occur. What do you wish more of the people you worked with understood about pelvic floor problems? I want patients to understand that there is hope that there is always an opportunity to help. Um, it may be hard work, it may require surgery, um, but ultimately um, you know, we'll commit and, and work as hard as, as any patient wants and that she doesn't need to suffer. A lot of patients normalize these conditions thinking, well, my, my, my mom had it, my sister has it, or my friends have it. You know, Everyone told me after birth this was gonna just happen to me. Um, this isn't normal. This isn't normal for us to experience this. It's not normal, it shouldn't be accepted, it should not be something that we resign to and allow it to change who we are. Um, I advocate for my patients, no matter what their condition, if it's something that's impacting your quality of life, even if it's not impacting your longevity, there is always something that we can do. Um, perhaps the treatments might not match the patient's value system, um, but it's always good to have more information, more education, and to empower the patient to really make an informed decision based on her own value. Dr. Heisler, thank you so much for sitting down with me. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Jackie. Thank you again for having me. On the next Women's Health Cast, I'll talk to Heidi Brown about her community-based incontinence prevention program. Dr. Brown is a urogynecologist in the UW Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Her program has been incredibly successful, and she's looking at ways to make it accessible for more people. And if you're in the Madison area, join us for two Bladder Health Month events coming up in November. On November 1st and 28th, you can learn how to break free from pelvic floor disorders and incontinence from physical therapists and UW-OBGYN physicians. Learn more at uwhealth.org slash break free. Women's HealthCast is a production of the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can subscribe to Women's Health Cast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WISCOBGYN. Please let us know how we're doing. Rate and review us on your podcast app, and let us know what women's health issues you would like to learn more about. Thanks for listening. <laughs>